Welcome to the Loss and Lifting Talk podcast. The show is created to help you find your confidence by breaking down the complicated science of training and nutrition and turning it into simple, but more importantly, practical solutions that you can implement right away to start creating real results inside your body composition. We don't stop there either. We dive into the mental aspect of fitness to not only build a better body, but a better life all around. Podcasts were the medium where I learned and grew as an individual more than any other place in my life. The goal of this podcast is to give that back to you to start building the exact body and life that you know you're capable of. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Alex, good morning, man. How you doing? Good, man. How are you? Do you do any training or anything this morning? Yeah, I actually got in an arms and shoulder workout just in my garage gym this morning. I've got like a, I got myself set up just a, well, I guess it was probably like back in October ish of this last year. I bought a squat rack and then we've got like some adjustable dumbbells, but the adjustable dumbbells have already broke. So I wouldn't recommend getting your adjustable dumbbells from, from Dick's anybody out there. If you're looking for adjustable dumbbells, can't remember what the brand of those is called, but they've already broke on me, which pisses me off because they're like 600 bucks for fives up to fifties. But anyway, yeah, I've got a barbell and I've got like some 15 pound dumbbells, the adjustable dumbbells and a bunch of bands and stuff. And so some mornings when I wake up and like have just kind of a quick workout to go through, like if it's shoulders and arms or something of that regard, or even like back workouts now at the moment, I'll typically just get up and go out into the garage and train as opposed to trying to get up earlier to get to the gym and then get back and get the day started. I can, it just seems like it flows a little bit better and it's a little bit more time efficient. So I've been doing that for the past while, maybe like one or two of my workouts per week, just doing them out there in the garage, which has been kind of nice. So do you, do you still go to a commercial gym like frequently or is it pretty much like mostly out of your garage gym? Yeah, I, I go to the gym more than I work out in the garage gym. Really the main reason that I bought the the garage gym was to be able to film content from. I was getting into a bit of a rut in regards to creating videos when I first started creating videos on TikTok and then using some of that for reels and whatnot as well. But the main purpose of of video creation that I do is for TikTok. So that's where I have the, the biggest following, obviously. All of that that I used to do there was just in the office, breaking things down. And every once in a while, like in the office, I would do like workout tutorials, like showing different ways, like to optimize doing like an RDL or presses or different things like that. And it was just in my office with a little pair of 15 pound weights. And those videos always seemed to perform very well, but it just felt kind of gimmicky, I guess, doing it in the mm -hmm. office. And so I figured, um, like just for a kind of fresh restart that, setting up just a, a garage gym with a minimal amount of equipment. And my wife likes to be able to work out at home too. And she does very basic, basic stuff with barbells and, and dumbbells and whatnot. And so she wanted it. And so I, I figured I'd just invest into something and spend a, like a thousand to $2,000. I think I'm only into it, like maybe 16, 1700 bucks, but it just kind of freed me up to be able to, to make more video content that was easy for me to make, but I also knew would be super helpful to others. And the cool thing about TikTok is that your videos actually make money. And so like if your videos do well, your videos, I mean, I, I have videos that have made two, three hundred, four hundred dollars just from the views that they get on TikTok. And so the garage gym has paid for itself just because it's helped me create more content and helpful content that's got out to a lot of people. And so it's been a good investment in that regard. 
That's actually pretty cool. You'll have to start posting on X now, the former Twitter, since they started rolling out uh, ad share. Oh, I didn't know they did that. You can make money yeah. there too. Yeah. So Elon started um, this whole, I, I forget what he calls it, like ad share or basically like you can get verified on Twitter. And then like once you start or once you become verified, all your posts on there kind of based off the views, the, I guess they call them likes or kind of just any sort of interaction you get paid based off that. So there's, I've seen, I've seen quite a few people start kind of posting on there just cause it's like, Oh, an extra 50 bucks here, extra hundred bucks there. But yeah, yeah, it was part joking, but also part like, I mean, you're already making the videos and you might as well post yeah. them on more than one platform. Yeah. I should post them over there. I've never really dove into Twitter. I tried to use it just a little bit for a while. I feel like that's definitely the hardest platform to be able to grow on for sure, or like mm -hmm. get engagement on just, I just don't understand it well enough. I never really got into Twitter, but yeah, I'll have to look at that at some point, but, but yeah, like the, the TikTok side of thing, like as a coach and, and what we do, like creating content, it's, it's actually nice to be able to, to bring in like a, a decent amount of this, like extra random income just from posting videos. Like when I was younger and, and like when I first started the gym and I was working in the gas station still 10, 15 years ago, I always, my family owned rest, a restaurant that was right off of the gas station that I managed. And part of my job was to be in the restaurant two nights per week and I would serve um, and make tips and I would make like an extra couple hundred bucks in a night because we were super busy in there. And so I always had this extra cash flow. And so now TikTok to me feels like that extra like little supplemental thing that I do that just makes a little bit of cash flow on the side for for spending money throughout the month, so to speak, um, which has been kind of like a cool little thing. So one thing I am curious, since you have a home gym, I've never had like a home gym of my own. The closest thing I'd say as far as like home gym consistent use would be during COVID when I went to my, he, he lives one subdivision over, but I call my neighbor essentially two minute drive over and I would use his gym. So it, it was still like, I would have to get in the car, drive over there, kind of warm up and start working out. But as far as just a gym, a gym in your own house, I wonder how that compares to the people who go to the actual gym as far as consistent use goes. Cause I know the people who like have the home gym, it sounds really nice, but then it's also the factor of like, well, I can just do this in an hour or I can do this in two hours. The next thing you know, it's 7 PM. You're like, well, I'll just do it tomorrow. But of course there's plenty of people who do it like with the gym itself. I personally like to get in the car, sit pre-workout on the way, listen to music. Like that's kind of part of my routine. So an at-home workout, doesn't really get me in the zone quite like a commercial gym does, but I'm curious kind of just from your point of view, like having the home gym as far as like actual workout goes and Claire, I guess, like, do you guys find yourself using it as consistently as you would like going to the gym or like workout intensity? I'm curious because I've never, like I said, had a home gym of my own. Yeah, that's a good question. And I was curious of the exact same thing for myself because thinking about it, like working out at home isn't near as motivating and it's e it's much easier in my opinion to be able to continue to put it off 
throughout the day until you get to the end of the day and just end up saying, screw it all together and not staying consistent and getting your training sessions in. Right. And so what I've found for myself is that, um, first, first and foremost, for me, I get up first thing in the morning and I train, like it's, it's what I do basically first thing before I do anything else. Like I, I train even before I have coffee, I wake up, I go into the, the kitchen, I, um, get like, um, an electrolyte powder, put it in a, in a big water cup, drink that whole thing down. And then I either go to the gym or I go out to the garage. And so for me, like I have to make sure I do that thing first thing, because if I push off, be like, Oh, I'll do it after I get some work done or I'll do it here or there. Like being a husband, being a dad, working from home, shit just seems to come up throughout the day, right. To where it's easy to continue to put it off. So I do it first thing. And so if you do work out at home, I would say like, that's very, very important. If you're going to train in your, in a home gym, whatever setup you have, like it's gotta be one of the first things that you do in the day. I made a post about that in the past as well. Like the older that you get, the more shit that you're going to have come up and more responsibility you're going to have in your day. Like, so the more important it becomes to have your first thing to do, if possible, is get in your, a training session. So it's just done. The hardest part of your day, the thing that you maybe don't want to do is the first thing that you get done. Cause in my opinion, that sets you up in a mental state to be able to accomplish the rest of the day in a, in a clear, more accomplished feeling state, as well as it doesn't give you that excuse to just continue putting it off until it actually never gets done. Right. And so, for me, like I go in and out. There's sometimes where like I look at the, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll look at the home gym and I'm like, oh, that sounds terrible. And so I'll go to the gym. And then there's some mornings that I'll wake up and I'll be like, oh man, I, I feel kind of stressed. Like I have a lot of shit that I got to get done today. Like driving to and back from the gym is an extra 10 minutes both ways and I'll stop and get coffee. So it's really extra 30 minutes. And so if I go to the gym, come back, I'm going to be stressed and frantic trying to get everything done throughout the day. And so for me, it's more of like, my mental state when I wake up, am I in a hurry and just need to get through a workout quickly um, to get that task checked off? And if I'm in that mood and don't feel like I have a lot of time and like kind of feel stressed about my day that's coming up and want to get into it, I'll just hurry and work out in the gym that I have at home. Right. Or if I'm like got a little bit of time, motivated to train, want to get in like a, a better training session in regards to more variety in what I'm going to use and like have specific movements that I'm trying to progress on machines and things like that, that aren't with a barbell or with free weights or with bands, then I'll go to the actual gym. And so for my opinion, what I think is best, and this isn't probably capable for everybody is set yourself up with a minimal home gym that you can get in decent training sessions, right? Like for me, I could get in a a push day. I could do a, an incline barbell chest press. I could do when I had the dumbbells, the dumbbells are broke. Now I need to invest in, into some new dumbbells, but I could do like a hybrid press slash incline fly, um, that like with a big stretch. And then I could finish with like some deficit pushups. And that's really as good of a training session as I can get in the gym. Right. But I don't always feel like doing that exact training session and I want some variety. So I'll go to the gym or if I'm at home and want to do like a, a pull type of day, well, I can do, um, pull-ups and then I can go into like, um, uh, uh, it's like a feet support supported pull-up. There's a name for it, but I can't remember what it's called, right? Like your feet are up on an incline bench and I've got those little orange, like D handles or whatever they're called. Mm -hmm. And I can do a, a different variation for the lats and then I can do some inverted rows or, or barbell rows or something to finish it off. And so there's, I can get it all in at home if I want to, I just don't have as much variety to do from home. And so it really just depends on my, my mood and like my stress level with what I have coming up through the day that will depend on if I go to the gym or if I just do it at home. But I think it's a good idea if you're able to like set yourself up with a, 
um, don't you don't need to go like all out on your home gym, right? Like if you can get some dumbbells and a rack and an adjustable bench with some um with some plates, obviously, I think you can get a lot done. A lot of the time, like I trained back out of my home gym yesterday and my lats are sore as hell today. Like I can get really good workouts in from there, but I think keeping it minimal there and then keeping your gym membership, if you can, is the best case scenario so that you can kind of go between the two. And then if you find that you just like one more than the other, then, I mean, you can go back to whatever that is. In my case, that's kind of beneficial because it was an experiment because I knew that spending the money on the home gym is going to end up paying for itself through through content and TikTok, obviously. But I feel like that's like what's ideal. And then slow, if you want to start adding to that home gym, you can. Like for me, the next investment I'm going to make is into probably a functional trainer um, to get some cables in there and then add some more um, dumbbells to what I have. And then maybe get like a, a leg extension slash leg curl machine. It'll probably have to be a plate loaded one that suits us both. And then once I have that in there with the cables, the leg extension, the leg curl, the dumbbells and the barbells, then I'm in a position to where like I really don't need a gym unless I'm looking to do like hack squats or leg press or something of that nature. Brian makes some really good um, functional pieces that kind of, I don't know, just as far as like overall like features, I mean, they are going to cost, I think, a bit more than other companies out there. But I think as far as like versatility goes, I do tend to really, really like what they have. And they're kind of the one brand of, if I'm looking at like a potential home gym, they would be the ones that I'd be looking at as far as like functional trainers just for options. But last thing on home gyms, if you are one of those people who work out in a home gym and you do so in the freezing cold with like freezing cold plates, like freezing cold barbell. That was me this morning. Hats off to you because I just, I just could not. Like I could not imagine going to like work out in the freezing cold garage. It's one, it's just freezing cold in there, but it's like mm -hmm. everything you touch is just like the bar is cold, the plates are cold, like your joints are cold. And it's like, no, I'd rather stay in bed. It's like, I yeah. don't think I could motivate motivate myself to get up and put that work in. But yeah, I was curious. Like I said, I've, I've never committed to home workouts other than like insanity on the little DVD or whatever. I used to do so. that too. I did that for a while. Um, like the my first or second year of college, my girlfriend got me insanity and I did that for for a while. But you're right about like this time of the year, it's even harder to work out in the home gym because it's freezing ass cold outside. Like I don't get very good pumps. I'm I started a, a mini cut at the first of January and so and I've gotten pretty aggressive with it. And so already only two and a half weeks in, my pumps have already kind of gone to shit because my carbon take is so low at the moment but like with that and then it being cold and being in the morning without really any food in my system and not a ton of water in my system um like the workout was not great it was more about just getting through the workout today and and like checking that off of the list rather than the actual workout itself you know what i mean and sometimes mm -hmm. like at this point for me like i'm not always motivated to train i don't always want to be in the gym i probably don't want to be in the gym more often than I do want to be in the gym, but I still do it every single day because when I leave, like it's checking that box off in regards to my health, right? Like I look at life kind of from buckets. We have four different buckets that we have to fill. If you want to feel um, balanced and truly happy, in my opinion, you have a relationships bucket, you have a health bucket, you have a financial bucket and you have a spiritual bucket. And if you're not 
adding a little bit into each of those buckets every single day, like in the long run, you get out of whack. There's been times where I'm much more focused on the financial bucket and the health bucket and my relationships and my spiritual life suffer. And there's times where I've been more focused on my relationship bucket and maybe my financial bucket and the other two suffer and like, I never feel fully fulfilled. And so like, as the older that I get, I try to make sure I'm giving a little bit to each of those buckets every single day. And that's what keeps me much more grounded mentally overall. And a lot of times there's, there's times where I don't want to do any of that, like the spiritual bucket. There's times where I don't want to, to pray or to meditate or like take a little bit of time for myself. There's times where I don't want to train, but like when I can put a little bit into each of those buckets every single day, regardless of if I want to do them or not, like I just feel like such a better human overall and just clear and more just in tune and happy with the world, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And you could almost just take that same example, take the kind of bucket analogy and compare that with training nutrition as well. Like there's the intensity and there's frequency and there's volume and there's recovery and like all these different factors. And it's just kind of sort of like, sure, you're not going to be able to give a hundred percent to every single basket every time you go in the gym, No, but it's, you know, can you come in and at least put a little bit kind of into each bucket. And if one is maybe less full a certain day, you know, can you prioritize another one to kind of help, you know, even out that, you know, kind of balance. But yeah, I think I'm training nutrition, just life. They all kind of have buckets and you need to figure out, you know, how do you kind of keep everything balanced without overflowing a single bucket or a container, however you kind of want to think of it. Yeah, I think if you get too focused into one with training or nutrition or life in general, you can really move forward in that sense. And I think there's a time and a place to focus on one over the other. But just as I continue to to grow, try to grow in all aspects, I find that keeping everything more well balanced just leads to me feeling so much more fulfilled in life without additional stressors about my relationship with my wife or with my daughter or with my parents or siblings or um, being stressed about my my health or my body composition or finances or whatever it is just trying to find that balance I think is so so important the older that you get and I don't think you truly start to realize or see that until you've made quote-unquote mistakes on focusing far too much on particular buckets over others. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think that that's deep. I, I didn't know where is it, is that I didn't too know deep where it was this gonna... morning. <laughs> my see, my brain's actually already kind of like overworked. So typically, my morning routine as of like a few weeks ago was, you know, I would do my I'd have my breakfast, have my bowl of cereal, I'd go to the gym, I'd come back, have my eggs, and my bagel, hop on here. Well, today, I I actually woke up at five and I went to the gym super early, five, was back eight. by eight. And now I've been like working for like from eight to one when we started the podcast. I guess it's 224 where you're at. It's but 1224. Yeah, I'm an hour before. So before behind. You. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So typically when it's like this is kind of like my first big thing of the day, this is now going to be towards the latter end of the day. So it's like I can feel my brain function isn't quite as. Do you always wake up that early? Is. Are you always no, up? Is that a new thing that you're going to start doing or just thing. doing for a second? So it's going to be 
at least until middle of May. So my girlfriend and I, we basically try to line as many things up as possible like that we can. And so now her nursing classes start at eight in the morning or nine in the morning. So she has to be home by eight just to kind of combat the traffic and everything. But basically just for her to be on class at time, that's the time that we need to go. And I was like, well, I guess I'm in the early grind, you know, work mode now. Now you can just kind of just go to bed earlier. So instead of going to bed closer to like nine, nine thirty, I'm in bed closer to like seven thirty eight. I know that sounds so freaking lame, but it feels good kind of like waking up and it's like, man, like it's one, almost one thirty now. It's like, I've been working for close to four or five hours and it's like my work day is kind of coming to an end here around two to three and yeah that's I'm going to have the whole rest of the day and it's it's kind of a nice contrast. So I'm kind of debating like which one I like more, but that is a new change as of this week. nice i was in bed by eight o'clock last night as well but then like when i go to bed early i like to go to bed early and wake up early but a lot of the times i'll find myself going to bed early and then i have the bad habit of opening up my phone and i'll sit on social media or watch youtube videos and i'll look up and it's 11 o'clock and then i'll shut it off and then i'm not asleep until midnight and so i essentially spent four hours in bed doing nothing right like just wasting time when i could have went been to bed by eight and up by five or six like you said but push that back and so it's something that i need to work on that as well i need to start getting up earlier at the moment like i'm up I'm not waking up most mornings until like eight and that wasn't me for a long time i used to be up by like six have a bunch of work done go to the gym but i've switched that schedule and go to the gym first now which i battle with back and forth but um that's actually kind of motivating to hear that you're doing that because it maybe it'll kick me in the gear to do the same thing should we hop into some questions Let's do it. All right, we've got a few. Most of them are based on a lot of nutrition stuff for the most part, talking about like phasing your nutrition and different things like that. So let's hop in. The first question we have is from Haley Bove. I think that's you either pronounce it Bove or Bove. Sorry, Haley, if I'm saying your name wrong, but she went down below in the podcast description and filled out a question. Um, So if any of you guys want to do that as well, the podcast description always has podcast questions, a, a link for the questions where you can click on it. There's a little box there. You can submit your questions and we'll bring them onto the show if we feel like they'll be helpful for others. So Haley Bove, she says, how long should you stay in a caloric maintenance deficit or surplus phase? I've seen people say a few weeks and others say a few months. So I'm looking for some clarification as I start my own process. All right, so I'll go ahead and kick this one off. And I do believe we answered this question or a similar question on an episode maybe a month or a couple months ago. But the question just kind of asked, how long should I stay in a calorie deficit for? And a maintenance And the and a surplus. yeah, So all and of them. yeah, and so the way I answered this the first time around, I kind of have like a... new approach to it and it's like a much simpler answer and it just truly depends on what you're after and where you're currently at in your journey there's just so many different ways that you could phase this in i think it's just more so asking yourself like what do i really want so you have to understand a calorie deficit is meant to reduce body fat but with that there's going to be like the pro you lose body fat, the con is like you're not in as good of a state to build muscle, for example. 
we have maintenance, which the primary goal is just to kind of simply maintain and maybe put on an ever so slight amount of muscle, maybe kind of, you know, body recomp. A building phase or a surplus is great if you want to get stronger, you know, add some muscle definition, kind of anything along those lines. And so if you're in a deficit, asking yourself, do I want to continue getting leaner? If the answer is yes, continue on with your deficit as long as your general kind of biofeedback allows. And those biofeedback markers that we look at, sleep, hunger, recovery, energy, digestion, stress, those are my favorite ones. Um, so if you want to continue losing, go ahead and do so as, as long as biofeedback allows. If you're like, nope, I'm happy, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to continue in that deficit. And then you want to decide, where do I want to go from here? It's probably going to be smart to at least maintain for a bit. And how long you maintain, I mean, you could hypothetically maintain forever, but at some point, you're going to have a new goal. And as far as how long do you build for, again, it just kind of depends. And you have to guide this based on lifestyle factors. So let's say you're in a position and you're gaining, let's say, on average, a pound a month. And you're kind of going, you're going, you're going, you're on month five or six. And all of a sudden you notice like, hey, digestion hasn't been great as of late. Okay, that's your sign that something probably has to change. Now, as far as specific weeks, amount of time, how you phase from one phase to the next, that's where it's nice to kind of have an understanding of just how to periodize your nutrition, which is basically a fancy way of saying kind of phasing your nutrition to kind of lead into an ultimate goal. Um, but I think that's kind of my main thing is like, don't get too caught into specific numbers and learn to just more so guide your own journey based off what you like and what your own body's telling you. I don't know if you have anything to add, Chaz, or what you kind of think. Yeah, I think you summed it up pretty well. I get asked this question all of the time because in a lot of my content, I am trying to make people aware of periodization within their nutrition, right? Because people always think like, oh man, I want to lose fat. And the vast majority of people these days understand to lose fat, you have to be in a, in a calorie deficit to, deficit to be able to make that happen. But there's also two other parts of nutrition that are important to keep in mind when it comes to body composition, your overall health, right? There's the part where, yes, you can lose fat, but you also have to learn how to sustain that fat that you lost and understand, like you said, there's pros and cons to a deficit. The pros are that you'll lose weight when you're in a deficit, but the cons are at some point, um, biofeedback is going to start to get more poor. What people don't understand typically is that being in a deficit is a stress on your central nervous system overall, right? Your body can only stay healthy and use its own tissue as energy, which is what you do when in a deficit for so long until your hormones will start to downregulate, your hunger will increase a lot, your energy will start to decrease. For women, if you do this for too long, get too lean, you can start to mess up your, your cycle and your, your menstruation, your menstruation. I believe that's the word for that. Um, and so you have to, to understand that there are pros to being in a deficit and you can ultimately end up healthier from a deficit. If you have a lot of body fat on yourself and you're trying to lose some of that, you'll end up healthier, but there comes a point to where being in a deficit leads to your health actually getting worse as well. And you have to understand that you have to come back up in regards to your caloric intake 
to a maintenance to allow all of that biofeedback to get into a better position. And your body's now just using fuel or using calories, fuel that you're intaking in regards to food as energy, as opposed to actually using your body fat tissue as energy. And so everybody wants like this particular number and like, this is how long you should be in a deficit. This is how long you need to be at maintenance. And this is how long that you should be in a surplus. What I would say for the vast majority is that anywhere after roughly around like 12 to 24 weeks is usually where you'll start to see biofeedback get into a worse position when you're in a deficit. Hunger will get higher. You'll start to have more of a scarce relationship around food. You'll start to see energy levels drop. You may start to see your training start to, to get worse. Your strength levels will decrease. So somewhere in that time frame, this can be different. Like I've had some clients that have been able to go all the way up for 36 weeks. And then I've had other clients who biofeedback starts to get poor after six to eight weeks. And so there's not a perfect number for everybody. It's really you paying attention to your biofeedback markers. And within that 12 to 24 week period, if you can reach your overall goal, well then amazing, right? And if your biofeedback doesn't get so bad that you can't stay consistent anymore and you can get to where you want to be, then just stay in that deficit that entire time until you're there. Once you're to that goal, don't just stay in the deficit because it's like, oh, well, he said I could stay there for 24 weeks. If it happens in 18 weeks, if you're to your goal, the deficit is done. Like you've served your purpose inside of the deficit. It's time to, to reverse back up to a, a maintenance level, right? And then, so how long, so just for like some general guidelines in regards to numbers, I would be aware of your deficit being anywhere from around 12 to 24-ish weeks. And what you can expect from that, if you're in a proper deficit, you should be trying to lose around anywhere from like 0.75 to 1.25% of body weight per week on average, if you're able to stay mad consistent in that deficit, right? And so if you're 200 pounds, you could potentially be losing anywhere around like 1.75 to 2.25 pounds per week. If you're 100 pounds, 0.75, 0.75 pounds to 1.25 pounds on average per week. You give yourself 12 to 24 weeks, times that out, that, that gives you how much weight you could potentially lose in that deficit if your consistency is on point, right? And so then we talk about maintenance. How long should you be at maintenance? Well, you need to be at maintenance for at least however long it takes for all of your biofeedback to get into a proper position and an optimal position once again, right? And so if you went through that deficit phase, hunger's higher, energy's lower, strength is worse, digestion is off, all these different things, you're not feeling that great. Well, you come back up to maintenance, you need to stay at maintenance or you could potentially even go into a surplus for as long as needed for all of that biofeedback to recover. And I would argue plus another month or two after that biofeedback is completely recovered, then you could dive back into another deficit if you weren't able to reach your entire goal through that first deficit while using that maintenance slash surplus as that quote unquote diet break, so to speak, to recover, to be able to go back into it. Or if you reach your overall goal when in the deficit, come back up to a maintenance, sustain, get your body back in a better position biofeedback wise. And then from there, if you're happy with your level of leanness and then you're like, Hey, like I like how my body looks. I don't really want more muscle definition on my frame. I don't need to be any leaner. You can just chill at maintenance for as long as you want to potentially at some point you, you may come up with some goals. If that's where you're at and you're happy with your level of leanness, body composition, amount of muscle you have, then I would argue you need to start like focusing more, maybe on some, some performance type goals, start focusing on some strength goals or something just to keep you motivated to keep training and pushing towards something that you haven't obtained yet. Because sometimes what I'll ha see happen when people sit at a maintenance is that they start to lose sight of goals 
and motivation starts to dwindle. They're no longer quite as consistent with nutrition. They may start overeating. They may not be working out as much. They start to gain body fat and aren't able to sustain that level of body composition. So if you're in a body composition you're happy with at maintenance, set some sort of a performance goal for yourself at that point and just focus on maintaining and achieving something. Right. But if you get back up to maintenance, you're happy with your level of leanness. You don't feel like you have quite as much definition on your frame as you would like to have. Well, at this point, then you need a small surplus of calories. Right. And a surplus is going to be when you're eating more calories than your body is burning. So it has extra energy in your body. So you can potentially add more lean muscle tissue and you'll be in your strongest state. I have a decent amount of women that I'm working with now who were going through a surplus because they got lean, didn't feel like they had as much muscle definition as they wanted. So we have to take time not being lean, eating more food, getting as strong as possible in their training and, and focus on building muscle to where a little bit of body fat is going to be accumulated throughout that process as well before you then go back through another deficit phase to shed any body fat and show off that added lean muscle tissue that you created. So when it comes to the surplus side of things, in my opinion, especially for women, this happens for men too, but you typically never spend as much time that's actually needed in a surplus to actually see the results of a surplus. Building muscle is a much slower process than losing body fat, right? If you spent six months very consistent in a deficit, you're going to see huge changes in your body, right? You're going to get quite lean compared to where you were when you started. Spending six months in a surplus, you're going to gain maybe four to, or maybe three up to six pounds of muscle throughout that process. If you're newer in your training career, once you're even more advanced, it's going to potentially even be a slower process than that in regards to gaining. And so my advice is always stay in a surplus as long as you physically can. That doesn't lead to you gaining too much body fat. Like if you want to see noticeable change from a surplus, I would say that you need at least six months in a surplus if you're in your first few years of lifting to be able to then go back through a deficit after that six months, shed any body fat that you might accumulated to show off that added lean muscle tissue that you gain and actually be able to notice it. Um, so the longer that you can stay on that surplus side of things, the better I would gauge again. Like if, if you want to see the surplus pay off at least six months, ideally, like if you could stay in that surplus for 12 to 18 months, even better. Like for me at the moment, I've been in a surplus since the summer of last year. So around six months or so I, I've been in a surplus and now I'm taking all of January to do a mini cut because I've gotten up in weight and kind of at that higher threshold of where I want my body fat percentage to be. So I'm going through an aggressive mini cut through this month where I'm back in a deficit for only 30 days. And it's kind of extreme. Like I'm down to around 1900 calories, which is very, very low, but I've been able to drop like eight pounds in the last couple of weeks, which a lot of that is water weight, but some of that's body fat coming off, trying to get down to 180 by the end of January so that then I can start to build from 180 back up to 190 through the next six months and then do another cut after that. And so staying in surpluses for as long as you possibly can is only going to benefit you more into the future as long as you're not accumulating too much body fat. But being comfortable with gaining a little bit of body fat is super vital during that time and understanding that you're making an investment through that surplus to better how you're going to look in the future and set yourself up for a more successful deficit where you're actually going to notice your progress. Because during the the surplus, like it's hard. I've got a, a few ladies going through it now. I've got 
one client who started a surplus back in September and we're into January now, and she's only gained roughly like six pounds, but she's also a, a personal trainer herself. So, so like a lot of her friends are into fitness, they're all in really good shape and she's deliberately taking time to be a little bit fluffier to build more muscles so we can go through a deficit and she can see that pay off. But mentally it can be hard as a woman because of diet culture, right? Like inside of fitness as, as a woman, like there's this thing where it's like, everybody's gauged or, or compared to off of like how, how small they are, how lean they are. Like it can be uncomfortable to gain a little bit of weight, but you have to understand that that is part of the process to ultimately continue improving your body composition. If those are where your goals at or are at. And so to sum all of that up, we've, we've really dove into this at a, a deep level, your deficits, probably somewhere between 12 to 24 weeks, roughly. Some people are going to be able to go a little, a little bit longer, some people a little bit less, but it's going to depend upon how your biofeedback is coming back through that and not letting it get too unmanageable. Your maintenance phases need to be as long as needed for all of that biofeedback to fully recover and get into a better position, plus maybe another month or two to really be able to stabilize that. Typically, that's going to be generally for at least as long as you were in the deficit that you're going to need to stay at maintenance to allow all of that to recover. Again, some people that may be a little bit less, some people that may be a little bit more. And then for surpluses, if you truly want to see a change in your body composition from going through a surplus, I would say that you need at least six months. If you can go for longer than that, the better up to 12 to 18 months. That's where you're going to really see a lot of change happen the next time that you go through a cut. So hopefully that gives you guys some general guidelines, but there's much more to it than just like these exact timeframes. You have to you have to go gauge off of how your body is responding biofeedback wise, strength wise, energy wise, hunger wise, digestion wise, sleep wise, all this type of stuff dictates the lengths of each. It sounds like such like a great deal of things to kind of monitor when you're thinking like, I got to monitor this. I got to monitor that. I got to monitor this. That's but what a coach is for, right? Do, mm -hmm, I'll say once you get in the hang of it, you just start to become like that much more efficient with it. Or if you just don't care to do all that yourself, that's essentially like what we do. We come in and we basically spend our time making decisions based off the data that we see, the adaptations that you have, the biofeedback that you submit, and just general like lifestyle practices, like sharing how things are going, like sharing what's going well, like what's not going so well. But I mean, in a way, that's kind of just like what we do is we look at the person's data and assess based off the biofeedback and what they're sharing with us. And I mean, it's not easy and there's hundreds and probably thousands of different variations that you can take. But yeah, I mean, if you can learn to manage your data and that will be essentially like all that you need to have a successful journey, assuming that you can actually stick with the things for the required length of time, which most people tend to skip out on the maintenance and the surplus phases. So yeah, 100%. So when somebody comes in and begins working with me, what and Alex, I know does the same thing because we, we use the same systems essentially. So if somebody comes in and they say, I want to lose body fat, like I have 20 pounds that I want to lose. My job from there is to set them up with a guideline or a bird's eye perspective of what that process is going to look like before I even get them started, right? And so like I'll show them when they come in, like these are the phases that we're going to go through to help you lose that 20 pounds. 
um, in regards to like your primer phase, like establishing your maintenance as we begin, then the deficit phase. And this is how long we're going to go with that. Like the, the goal is to be in that deficit for around like 16 weeks. Um, and then we have your sustain phase, which is your, or your reverse phase back up to your maintenance level. And then we have your sustain phase after to recover. And then if you have some more weight to lose after that, we'll go back into that deficit to finish up anything that, that we may need to. And so I'll set them up with these like kind of specific timelines of what we're kind of expecting for each of those different four different phases. But I always make sure to tell them this is just our guideline and to give you an understanding of what this process is going to look like with some estimations on the timelines. But depending upon how your body responds throughout this process, these timelines can differ depending upon your biofeedback. If we get 16 weeks in and you've lost 15 pounds and biofeedback is still fine and and your consistency is still fine and you still feel motivated to be in a deficit, then we'll push that out a little bit further. If we get 12 weeks in and your body's not responding well, you're having a harder time being consistent, your life got more stressful, you're not sleeping as well, your hunger is higher, well then I know at that point like trying to stay in a deficit is not serving you. So we're gonna come out of that deficit sooner to recover, to get you ready to go back into another deficit. And so it changes for each person. I give them these timelines of what this is going to roughly look like, but then I'm paying attention to all of their biofeedback markers on a weekly basis and tracking them as well as where their consistency is at and where their mental state is at. And then we're making adjustments depending upon what their body is telling us throughout that process to ensure progress that they're making is one sustained and they don't end up with this bad relationship with food or, or unhealthy mindset or, or this black and white thinking to where like they're either all in or all out to help them keep balance um, just to keep them moving forward over the long term, but accepting that sometimes progress is just getting your biofeedback in a better position to allow yourself to be able to start making progress once again. So those timelines will change depending upon how the person responds. Sometimes they'll be able to go longer than, than what I set out for them at the beginning. Sometimes they'll have to go shorter because things come up in their life that get in the way or the body just doesn't respond appropriately how we hope that it would for long enough and we have to adjust. And going through that coaching process is super helpful because it helps you start to learn your body much better and kind of learn what to expect as you go through these different phases. That's always my biggest goal when working with somebody is hopefully if, if we work together for eight months up to two or three years, like my goal is by the time that we are finished working together, you've learned enough about your body and what to expect through these different phases so that by the time that we're done, you're able to coach yourself because I've taught you what you need to pay attention to and how you need to adjust depending upon what your body is telling you to sustain progress and be able to produce the results that you're looking for so that you don't need a coach again, because that's the goal, right? Whenever, whenever I talk with somebody, that's the main conversation that I have on the phone. If they're looking to, to start with us is my goal is to teach you how to be able to coach yourself in the long run in regards to your training, in regards to your nutrition, in regards to how to adjust that. And in regards to how to adjust depending upon the goal that you have and what your body is telling you, because then you're in complete control and you're not on social media looking for new tips or the latest science or somebody saying you shouldn't eat carbs and somebody's telling you that you should like all this bullshit that's all over social media. It gets you out of that realm because you understand your body and how to listen to the biofeedback that it's giving you on a weekly basis to be able to reach those next levels and be able to sustain it with a lot more ease and not as much questions. You're on mute. Yeah, I forgot I muted my dog. My dogs were going absolutely nuts upstairs. I guess the package got dropped off or something, but 
what I was saying when I was muted was I think the kind of simplest explanation of that is kind of relating it to real life. Like, you know how, I guess, counselors or kind of therapists, I think they recommend this. If not, then I'm going to sound really stupid. But like when you're in the heat of a, like heat of a moment, you often say a lot of things you don't mean to say because like our first place our brain goes is somewhere emotional. And so we, we make a lot of emotional decisions which aren't always going to be best for us long-term. Same kind of thing with what we do is we're offering an unbiased, non-emotional view, which guides you towards that long-term sustainability versus like kind of like scrolling through like Instagram. It's like, well, this looks fun. I'm going to do this today. It's like, well, I've been really sad. Like, I don't feel like doing it this week. You know, I'm not going to do it. it there is no emotion, like a, no emotions tied to it. There's no bias tied towards it. It's just like, what is going to be best for, best for you, not just in the now, but like also long-term. And if you can yeah. learn to do that for yourself and delay gratification, like whether that's someone doing it for you, someone helping you, you doing it on your own, if you can make non-emotional, non-biased decisions, it's only going to accelerate your results and the progress that you continue to see. Yeah, you're. that's where you win, right? Mm -hmm. People fell at fitness training and nutrition because they allow their emotions to get in the way. For whatever reason, there's people out there that can, I would argue I'm one of these people when it comes to training and, and nutrition and it, and you're most likely the same. Most coaches who succeed and are passionate about training and nutrition, they don't allow how they feel in the moment to get in the way of their goals long-term. They're able to view their scenario from a very logical standpoint and always or most of the time do what's going to be best for their future self rather than what makes them feel um, the best in the moment or go off of how they feel in that exact moment. And so if you are that type of a person with your training and nutrition, that's who uh, not all clients that come in and work with us. We have more advanced people who are in good control and they're just looking for more structure with their training and nutrition and kind of a roadmap. Um, and somebody there to help hold them accountable so that they don't have to make the decisions for themselves and they can just execute. There are those people and they do a really good job executing, but most co clients that come into coaching are coming from a mental state to where they allow their emotions to dictate their actions on a day-to-day -day basis inside of their training and nutrition. So when they're motivated, they're doing great. When they're not motivated, they give into those emotions of not wanting to do anything and staying off track. Right. And so bringing a coach in and being able to create some accountability and somebody to coach you through this and help you see what you're doing to yourself, because a lot of the times you don't actually see this. A lot of the times you're blaming your lack of progress on your hormones or your body or the select foods that you're eating. When in reality, the biggest problem that you have is that emotionally you give into those emotions on a day-to-day -day basis and you don't know how to step out of your emotions when you're not motivated and you don't want to train or you don't want to track your nutrition. You don't know how to step out of that and say, in six to 12 months from now, how am I going to feel if I stay off track? Will I be in a worse position then? Or do I want to do the things today regardless of how I feel that makes that person that makes me six to 12 months down the road from now proud of what I did today? And that's how you build confidence and that's how you build discipline is at some point you have to start living today for your future self. That's how you create progress because I'm in a mini cut right now. I don't want to track. I don't want to only eat 1900 calories 
per day at this point. Like I don't want to do those things, but I'm doing them every single day because I'm more focused on where I'm going to be on January 30th, as opposed to how I feel right now today on January 17th, my workout today. I did not want to do it. It was 32 degrees in my garage. My barbell was freezing ass cold. And so were the dumbbells that I were using. It was, it was not fun, but I'm more focused on committing to that January 30th version of Chaz than I am worried about how the January 17th version of Chaz feels. Right. And you have to start to make that mental transition. And the hard part is like at first doing this, it's not easy, right? Like you're not like, I can't just tell you that once and you're like, oh, well, that makes sense. I'm going to start doing that, right? It's really, really hard at first because you haven't built these neural pathways that view your life from that standpoint. And so the first few times you do this are going to be the hardest. You're not going to want to, but you have to push yourself and like grind through those first few times of living for your future self, as opposed to just living for your present self and how you feel in the moment. But the good news is the more that you do it, and the more that you ignore how you feel right now and just do it anyway, the easier it becomes to continue to do that in the future. So it's not always going to be really, really hard to do that. It is when you first try to break that barrier down. But as you continue to do it, it will get easier and easier. And it just becomes your new norm because you're breaking down those neural pathways and essentially rewiring them in your brain to identify yourself as the person who just does what you said you were going to do and for the goals that you have, regardless of how you feel in the moment. And that takes time and that takes proper coaching to continually remind you of that and hold you accountable to those commitments that you made to your future self in the long run. I have that that conversation with a lot of clients, especially at first. And I, I tell them like, this is not going to be easy. I'm not a, I'm not a magician. I can't come in and just magically change your mindset right? Like it's going to take work, but the more that you promise to me that you'll at least give effort towards the things that I'm asking of you and just trust in me through this process and focus more on the actions than the result. I promise you that as weeks go by, this will start to feel easier for you. And you're going to look back and you're going to make damn good progress throughout this process, but you have to kind of give in and accept the hard parts of these mental and emotional changes that you have to make at first to put you in that position. It's not about how many carbs you eat. It's not about if you're doing high reps or low reps. It's not about how much cardio you should be doing. It's more about breaking this down and getting into a position to where your consistency gets to a place in your persistence level over the long haul that actually gives your body um, a chance to be able to change. Because for most people, that's the problem is that you're not persistent or consistent enough throughout the long term to actually force changes to take place. And when you're thinking of giving up, just remember, like you said, self-control, it's like any other muscle. It's You train it, it simply gets yeah. stronger. And if you don't train it enough, so it's kind of like muscle memory. It's going to kind of start weathering away. So somehow every day, see how you can practice self-control. And that's going to take you, a, again, a very, very long way. So I know we're coming up here on the hour mark. So if you want to go ahead and do our closing remarks. Yes, sir. We appreciate y'all for listening. Like I said, there is a uh, link down below to where you can go ask questions. If you have questions from this particular episode with anything that came up, leave those questions in the lostandlifting.com backslash podcast link. 
I'll make sure to bring those episodes or those questions onto a future episode, potentially, if I feel like it will help others. Um, and I'll send you an email personally answering it, answering it for your personal situation as well. And as always, if you guys could leave us a review down below, if you're on Apple or Spotify in regards to the podcast algorithms to be able to reach more people, that's essentially the only way to be able to do so. The more reviews that we get, the better, especially written reviews. So we do appreciate you guys for listening. Hopefully you have an amazing day and we'll chat with you soon.